May I get it? That was so delayed. Yeah, got it. Uh, well, Arch will figure it out. <laughs> Me and Jess were already good. We just... just... Yep, sorry, Arch. That sorry, was Arch. my fault. Yep. I apologize. So... I, I just as intro. I went I went bowling a couple days ago, and the entire mm-hmm. right half of my body hurts, and I can't feel my fingers. So clapping just like hurt <laughs> like a lot. So like like it's it's like all these muscles like you know like right at the bottom of your hand like when it becomes your wrist, and then like all the way up my arm to my elbow on both sides just would like to be removed from my body they hurt so much right now it's like oh jeez like i don't think i pulled anything like it's not a ba- it's just sore muscles but man i've been stretching like crazy and it's not pleasant it's like ow. are you I, I know you're into sports and stuff are you uh, not not sports i meant i know you're into f1 but are you into other sports <laughs> uh like physical sports not really uh, a lot of that stuff's yeah. really expensive to watch and would require me getting a cable subscription. Honestly, the main reason I watch so much F1 is because it's like 80 bucks a year with F1 TV. If it, if it wasn't, gotcha. if it wasn't like super affordable, I just straight up wouldn't bother. That's fair. What about you, Jess? Like, do I watch sports? Well, yeah. Or, or do you play any sports? Um, I used to, I used to play a lot of sports in school. Mm-hmm. I don't really anymore. And I don't really watch any. Okay. Fair enough. We should get you into formula one. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know about that. You, you don't want like yeah. rich European boy drama. It's great. Yeah. With the occasional know. Aussie. I think I'll pass. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty accurate. F's for Danny Rick. <sighs> sad times. Sad, sad times. times. Sad times. Well, you know what isn't sad times is episode 48 of the Halcyon Frequency podcast airing live or December 18th, 2022. That is not yet decided, Jess. Whoa, Jess is here. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm trying to um, mentally prepare myself for later because I think I'm going to try bleaching my hair yeah. for the first time myself. Ooh. Oh, well, that sounds exciting. I had, I had an incentive. For the Rimworld Hot Potato event that my highest donor, like total donor, cumulative donations could pick a hair color. Ooh. And they they picked blue, and blue is difficult on blonde hair, so I've I've had to do a lot of prep for this one. I've uh, are you expecting a uh, cease and desist letter from uh, Kiri? <laughs> <laughs> um you know, maybe. I, I have tried dyeing my hair blue before. To be mm-hmm. fair, it turned green, so I don't know if I can like claim that I had blue first because okay. it, it definitely turned nice. green. <laughs> In that case, you might be getting a cease and desist from Arch. Yeah. And that other lovely voice that you're hearing <laughs> is one the one and only Bloody Drongo. How have you been? Hello there. I think in order to get a cease and desist from Arch, she'd need to also dye a beard, which would be very difficult. And her eyebrows. Let's not forget True, that either. Yes. And the eyebrows. <laughs> well, I mean, I I have just been living as a dwarf for like two weeks, so maybe the beard's growing in. It, it any day now, honestly. Mine sprouted the other week, and I <laughs> never felt better. I need to shave. 
Yes, me too. Since I'm still doing introductions, I'm blind and uh, I'm hosting this episode. We're going to be definitely having another uh, Dorfy heavy episode with some news towards the end. But uh, since we're in like the kind of obligatory uh, non-content discussion at the beginning of the episode still, um, I I do got to say, though, that that, like dying hair is uh, quite the ordeal. It's like to, to like having helped other people dye their hair in the past. It's like I understand why people just go get it done professionally a lot of the time. Yeah, it can be really challenging. <laughs> I have never tried bleaching my hair. I've only done that professionally, so I'm like really nervous about it and kind of procrastinating, but like I can't really any longer. I have no excuse now. Before I had to like pull the color out of my hair because I had like a silver. Now I just got to do it. Yeah. I I always wanted to dye my hair, but I never actually got around to doing it. And now I'm at the stage in life as, uh, you know, heading towards middle-aged man where I don't have enough hair to warrant dying. And I'm likely going to just shave it off all soon. So I feel like I've missed the boat there. And there's a part of me that's a little bit sad about it because that was definitely something, you know, as a kid that grew up uh, listening to a lot of kind of like grunge and metal and punk and stuff i'm like man i wish i just ended up dyeing my hair in that phase you know why do you feel like you've missed and you you've grown into a certain level of adulthood where you can't really do that again just go beard i'm pretty sure if i dyed my hair now the remaining three hairs would fall out so you know they would just quit it's 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 fighting a losing battle yeah (laughs) no that makes sense I'm just like I'm I'm very protective of my hair. Like I have a lot of it and people assume that I'm way older than I am because of the amount of gray that I have, which admittedly makes dating really difficult, but at the same time cuz everybody just assumes I'm lying about my age on dating apps, but like at the same time people also take me more seriously and I'm kind of okay with that. I mean, you do have a lot of hair. Yeah, I have a lot of hair and I don't want to lose it for any reason. I like my hair. Well, I I don't exactly know that you would lose it from dyeing it but i guess it depends on what you're doing true yeah i mean like it doesn't the, bleach the cause that, your hair to fall out a little bit no necessarily if you do it badly then maybe if you do it okay. a right. lot yes like, yeah it's it's we do it a lot I, I used to work with someone named gwen and and she she just had this habit of like bleach she had like dark brown hair naturally but would bleach it like every other week and i worked with her for about two years she always did the opening shift working drive through when i worked at mcdonald's and uh, so i'd see her every morning basically <laughs> during weekdays and uh there was a point where one day she just stopped bleaching her hair and it's like her hair went black to being dark we were all perplexed and one of uh, one day when somebody asked and she's just like oh yeah no like my hair was splitting in half yeah so it's I, like there is I, a point where we'll eat through your hair you're not really supposed to like bleach over the same parts that have already been bleached either. Like really mm. just the darker areas. Yeah, it's at least not um professionally. Like I at home I don't think I would reapply bleach to an already bleached area. It's that's a science. Definitely a science, yeah. So bleaching hair scares me. But I mean, my my hair dye is actually like a really gentle one. It's I don't know if you heard about it. It's Arctic Fox. I mean, you two seem like you dye your hair every week, so you probably have heard about it. <laughs> yeah, um, I am yeah, definitely it's my, it's, the target audience. Like, <laughs> it is my favorite. Hair brand it smells really great. It smells wonderful. It's like it's a conditioning uh, hair dye, and so 
it doesn't really damage your hair. At least they advertise that, and I've used it a lot and haven't ever had any adverse effects. Also not sponsored, but you know, if you if you want to, I'm up for it out there. <laughs> There was a this one hair dye brand that my ex used to use all the time because she would dye her hair like every other week, and it just reeked like it was like we I it got to the point where it was just like oh you're dyeing your hair today okay I'm gonna go I'll be out of the house for like four hours while you dye your hair because I don't want to be in the apartment because it's just gonna smell like paint thinner for a while. Yeah, no, yeah. this this smells really good, kind of like candy. And Celentre helps me do it so it goes even faster. And nice. on top of that, I've shaved off half my head with my, with my undercut. So, you know, it doesn't even take faster. as long. It's less hair to die. Yeah. Honestly, like, undercuts are probably one of my favorite haircuts on people in general. We've had this conversation. Mm -hmm. have, oh, have we? Oh, okay. I'm Sorry. Sure, yeah. <laughs> this is definitely becoming the undercut fan cast. Yeah. yeah. That actually sounds like the name of a podcast, genuinely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like in lieu of dyeing my hair, I think once I shave off my shave my head, I'm just gonna get head tattoos because that is something that I'm I'm genuinely like. I feel like I could rock that, and that would kind of be my a similar way of expression. It feels like I, I would also say like this is almost maybe just like a stream suggestion, but just like a variety of wigs for different events. A great suggestion, yes. Just like absolutely. A, a clown wig for something, or like, um, oh no, you could have like a mohawk wig, like you know, those ones mm -hmm. that are just like the really big fake looking mohawks. You, you could have, uh, like the, a hair metal wig so that like you look like you're out of the 70s. Um, yes. and combine that with different fake mustaches, you could go pretty far. <laughs> this is a, a whole world of opportunities. You're right. <laughs> you don't even need to worry about a skull cap. Like, there's so much you could do with that. Yeah, there's um, a plethora. It's a world of opportunities. The world is my oyster once I go bald. <laughs> like, you could also tattoo an oyster or the I world. I like this attitude. <laughs> Just tattoo the globe on my <laughs> skull. <laughs> oh, no. Actually, what, what, what you really need is you, you need to, like, Okay, first you need to like get super duper internet famous, right? So you have unlimited money, right? And then you just need to hire a makeup okay. artist to do airbrushing on your head. I mean, honestly, like that wouldn't be a terrible idea. Or you could do like henna because it's not permanent. It's like semi, -per well, not semi permanent, it's like, but it's it lasts a while, right? And it's worth yeah, it's worth it. It looks amazing. And you could do like big fancy like spiral patterns and stuff. Mm hmm. It's like a hypno skull <laughs> i have seen uh head tattoos which are like optical illusions and that to me is a little bit upsetting there's just something about the head looking like it's got like some kind of weird dimensions to it which is just kind of odd to look at the strangest tattoo i ever saw and i will never forget this i was a little kid and we were there used to be this ferry that would go across the Fraser River from close to where I grew up to the other side connecting to Langley. Anybody in Vancouver will know what I'm talking about. But there used to be this boat that would go across. It would take like 40 cars at a time. And it would take like 15 minutes for the boat to show up. You get on the boat and you go across. They got rid of it uh, over a decade ago now and built a bridge. But uh, there was one time when we were sitting there in the summer and it was really, really hot. out. We had all the windows down. This was before any car had air conditioning here. 
And we certainly didn't have air conditioning. So we're sitting there with all the windows down, just like fanning ourselves, sweating, right? And this guy was in a Jeep right next to us, and he was shirtless, and he had a tattoo of a T-shirt, like, on himself. <laughs> it was these, like, I looked, you, I just remember looking at that going, Mom, what about, what? And Mom's like, don't point. <laughs> are you sure that it wasn't just like a, a, a really, really vivid, like farmer's tan or something he had the most like it was colored it was not skin color oh wow okay like, it was a colored like like not normal skin color color shirt tattoo and he had well, a lot of hair bold choice very clear would that get you into the bar you know like what no, no. shoes no shirt <laughs> i you know thinking back on it now as an adult i think it was a football jersey I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was probably going to be my next question was, was it a sports jersey of some kind? Because that's a, an interesting fanaticism. I've not seen it before, but I totally believe that that exists out there. Yeah, but like, it's just, it's just looking at it was just the strangest thing that I've ever seen. I remember talking about it with my mom. I was like, yep, my mom, like on the boat on the way across her going like, yep, that man had a t-shirt tattoo. <laughs> and then I got some lecture about <laughs> tattoos being evil or something. I, I can't remember, but like, I was a little kid, a long time. I just, I just love the head cannon of this guy trying to get into a bar or something and being be like, "But I'm wearing a shirt," and it's like, "Sir, <laughs> we can still see your nipples." <laughs> Cover them with like, like, uh, like, uh, like chewing gum, and then you're good. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say nipple tape, but sure, yeah, chewing gum works. The I same. was like, no, I was thinking like the tassels. <laughs> oh wow, we all went in very different directions. <laughs> difference between sports bar <laughs> pride here i think <laughs> but you know I, we've covered the full nip, nipple spectrum there i think the full nipple spectrum <laughs> that's the name of this podcast episode anyway we're Nailed gonna go it. to a real quick break and when we come back uh we're gonna be talking about the games that we've been playing this week uh we got dwarf fortress we got uh, racing games and worm online so it should be an entertaining uh, uh chunk of the show so we'll be right back after this Hey, Pelanar here. I'm not in this week's episode as I'm uh, knee-deep in cast dwarves and all kinds of weirdness uh, in my fortress. And also I think there might be a forgotten beast uh, knocking at my basement hatcher. So hopefully next week or some other weeks I will be around. Uh, but this time not so sadly. And uh, if you want to see more of me or hear more of me, you can uh, check me out on twitch.tv slash Pelanar where I do uh, all kinds of uh, building management strategy games. Lots of dwarf fortress currently as the uh, rest of the team as well pretty much. Uh, and uh, enjoy the rest of the podcast. And hopefully you also have amazing holidays. So. And we're back with episode 48 of the Halcyon Frequency podcast. And uh, this is the part of the show where we speak about games. I'm blind and I'm still hosting. Joined by Woe Jess and Bloody Drongo. Uh, and uh, Drongo Hello. over here wants uh -huh. to uh, talk about Worm Online's recent content drop. Yeah, so uh, for those of you who aren't aware, Worm Online is a MMORPG sandbox. It's been around now for going on 20 years, and it's still being worked on and still being updated. It has a, uh, a small but very active community, and I've been playing it for about 17, 18 years now. So it's been a big part of my life. And I was very excited this week because they have just released a new skill, 
which is cartography, which for a game that is sandbox and very much aimed at exploration and um, kind of forging your own path through the world, cartography is a great fit. And um, I've been enjoying going down the rabbit hole of making map pieces and hopefully eventually going to be able to display some maps in my house of the surrounding areas, which will be very fun. For a second, I envisioned you actually putting maps in your IRL home and then realize you're talking about in the game. I, well, I'm not I sure mean, which I one could, you're talking about either. Both. So clarification, please. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about in game, but I honestly, uh, I could be, I could be persuaded to get like a, an IRL map of my area because I've been, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because I've been in the same spot now in the game for about five years. So I've definitely kind of built up a connection to the kind of local area. And that is one of the really interesting things about living in a, in a persistent world in a game like this, it, you feel genuinely attached to it and you form a connection with it, which is really nice. I have a genuine sort of off topic question. Would you mm -hmm. consider Worm Online to be the first and one of the longest running metaverses? Huh. Because the more, like, I, I've never played the game, but I've watched it. I've watched Arch mm -hmm. play stuff, our teammate play it. And I've seen a bit of you playing it as well. And I've also seen videos over the years and I've talked with Arch about it and I've talked with you about it. And mm -hmm. it seems to like have all of those pieces to make to like what modern CEOs who just throw corporate jargon around to try and print money from investors throw around, except it's just this little grassroots thing that's just kind of existed. Obviously, it's, you know, in a more medieval setting and a lot of these metaverses uh, things try and be more modern, Zoomer focused. Mm. But like, is that what, is, is this that? Is this the first metaverse? It's, it's a really interesting perspective, actually, because I've never looked at it through that kind of lens. But now that you've pointed it out, there is a lot of similarities between how the game functions and how a lot of those proposed metaverse games function as well. And it's, it's interesting before, because before um, the game got released on Steam just a, a couple of years back now, there was a big, um, a big thing where there was a, you know, a, a direct exchange between the in-game currency and the euro and, um, you know, the real world trading was very much accepted and encouraged within the community. And so you'd have people buying and selling items for real life money and characters and real estate and all kinds of stuff, very much similar to the metaverse. And it's yeah, it's a really interesting that you make that observation. Because like the, the so the, maybe the, the question one, mark. The one other MMO I've seen this comment thrown at is Eve Online, right? Mm. Which everything in that game is player owned. Everything in that game is player yep. manufactured. Like all yep. of like the the territories and everything that's player designated, and it's one server for everybody, right? And there's something like fifty thousand yeah. active people, and it's like. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think it, I think those are really the two, honestly, that have been successful yeah. over uh, the years. Worm Online and Eve really do go ha ha 
excuse me, they go hand in hand in terms of their communities. And a lot of people that I know from the worm community are also active or ex Eve players. And those games have both been around for a really long time. And yeah, you're exactly right. It's all, you know, both games are completely um, dictated in terms of their economy by the player base. Everything that comes into the game is, you know, created by the players and the values for everything is decided by the players. So yeah, I, I huh. again, it's kind of a, like a mind-blowing revelation to me, but yeah, I think, you, <laughs> I think you're right. The, di- the difference is it's not entirely monetized by the company that's making it and it's actually up to the players to make a free marketplace instead of like some corporation yeah. taking the vast majority the- of the profits and burning down the world with bad... Um, you know, um, server structure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The worm online is basically a glorified mud in a lot of respects. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the, the intent is certainly different, but the end product, maybe not as far removed as a lot of people might expect. So is Eve online in a lot of ways. Eve online is very much mud in its origins. Same with runescape, oddly enough, but runescapes, you know, 2000 people servers and much different thing yeah yeah so i have a question for you Mm -hmm. would you like get back into worm or sorry if you had never played before would Mm -hmm. you start playing worm online now like knowing what you know yeah i i definitely think i would the one of the really unique aspects that worm offers is that it's a fairly um relaxed pace of gameplay which is really really nice um because it kind of fits in between a lot of things in my life and it also offers a really unique outlet for creativity which no other games really offer to the same level that worm does and because it's a fully persistent world that has been ongoing for decades now that creativity doesn't go anywhere or at least isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon. And so, you know, if you're somebody that likes building things and creating things and feeling like you've had an impact in a game, especially in an MMO sense, uh, I would, I would definitely still recommend worm. It's, it's still a, it's, you know, it's a clunky old game, but it's still getting updates. It's, consistently um worked on it's been visually updated and it's just a yeah it's just a really nice game to play and i i if you're into that sort of thing then yeah i I would still recommend it yeah i've never like considered playing it before but like listening to you talk about it and actually looking at the website and stuff it looks fun also yeah i think that if you're if you're interested in how a new player uh would perceive the game um josh strife hayes is a youtuber who specifically reviews mmos he has a series of videos called the worst mmo ever and he (laughs) basically goes in in this and plays lots of different mmos as a new player looking for the worst mmo and he did a review of Worm about a year, about a year ago now, I think it was. 
and he is completely new to the game and he had some you know some good things to say about the game and also some bad things you know obviously it's a <laughs> a really old game now so there's definitely some uh, rough edges around it but that's probably the best place i can point and say you know if you're thinking about playing it watch this video and it'll kind of give you a bit of an idea of what you might be getting into and whether it's for you cool maybe i'll have to check that out so I don't yeah, what was the, the link oh, sorry <laughs> post it in the podcast channel so we can attach to the uh video and the yep, podcast description um so I just kind of want to mention that, like, you know, we talked about Worm for a while there, and what's actually in the, the new content update for Worm? What, what can players who are playing Worm expect from this new update? Oh, sure. So it, it, is, it is specifically adding in an entire new skill, um, which is cartography. So cartography is being able to make your own maps. So uh, within Worm, um, you have different servers that you're able to free roam, and all of those servers are um, completely made by the players in terms of you have a blank slate of a landscape and then any villages or highways or anything like that are completely player made. And depending on whether they're maintained or whether they are being actively built, the world will kind of change and evolve within that and, you know, if it's not being maintained, then it'll start to be reclaimed by nature and, and return to its natural state. And cartography allows you to kind of map out an area in its current state and create maps of your local region. And that can be useful in a practical sense in terms of being able to give maps to new players. It can be useful in a novel sense in terms of being able to kind of capture a snapshot of your local area and have it displayed on your wall. Um, yeah, it's just a, a, a new skill that offers some, some useful and also some indulgent uh, aspects to the gameplay. Awesome. Well, that sounds actually really cool. <laughs> um, but... Uh... <laughs> Without turning this into a Worm Online podcast, uh, there's a few other games that you have listed here, uh, Drongo. So I'm going to ask you about the one that yeah. I'm the most interested in, which is uh, a sim rig for F122. Yeah. So I um, last month I did a uh, a sub goal, and if we hit that sub goal, I was going to buy a uh, a sim driving rig, so a wheel and pedal setup, pretty basic. Um, but uh, it's a starting point because I've previously, I've only done driving games on a controller and uh, that has arrived this week. I haven't announced it yet. I haven't actually told any anyone in the community that I've now got this and I've been using it. But uh, so if you are listening, then congratulations, you've got the, the sneak peek behind the scenes. Um, and I've been playing some F1, F1 2022 with it. And I would like to think that I'm pretty competitive on controller. I, I can, I, in terms of hot laps and things like that, I have ranked w well within the top 5,000 players in the world for most tracks in the game, which is pretty good. Um, and going from controller to an actual wheel and pedal has been a massive adjustment and I am so slow and I'm having to rebuild all of that skill and knowledge once again. And it has been so frustrating, but also so rewarding at the same time. And I'm having a great time with it. Tell you, the, the, I, um, that sounds like a lot of fun. 
I briefly had a pedal and wheel setup, which I actually got for free. It was a G27 racing wheel. Um, but mm-hmm. very quickly figured out that like, you know, I've got no way of locking my chair to the ground. I don't have space for it. So I, I eventually ended up actually selling it at the beginning of the pandemic because I was just watching the prices of those things go up and 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 up. So I sold it for quite a bit above market value for the thing to some guy who just wanted to play mm-hmm. truck simulator. And there, there is part of me that kind of regrets it because like, I, I do miss like, it was quite fun, like, you know, locking my chair in place at, or getting a different chair and just like driving trucks around for a little bit, just because it's not an experience yeah. I get to have in real life. So it's a, a fun way to kind of change up life a little bit, but that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that, that, that you're enjoying that uh, new toy, even if it's a learning curve. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and I've also been playing a game called Beam NG, mm-hmm. which is basically like a, a driving a driving game that has a probably one of the most realistic to life damage models and physic models of any driving game out there, and um, that has just been a a total blast, and I'm seriously considering actually streaming some of that very very soon. Oh, I, I've actually streamed a very short amount of BeamNG. It's just, it's fun to just drive stuff into stuff and see how it explodes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a, there's a, a very, a very visceral satisfaction in just destroying vehicles. My, my favorite. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds awesome. My favorite part about it is, uh, is, is it has the time dilation slider and you can do like, you know, the scene from yes. the action movie where it's just like, I'm in a funky situation and you'll never guess how I got here. and then you speed it up bang or then play it and rewind and then it just like flies back and this is how it happened yeah literally yeah really good physics i don't know if it has the the capabilities but um uh wreckfest would be really Mm. fun with a wheel because that game has enough simulation chops that it would work and also you can drive you know a school bus around in a on a racing track with jumps I've I have nearly one hundred percented Wreckfest. I have two achievements outstanding, and they're both multiplayer achievements. And it's just like, ah, oh, man, I just it feels so unobtainable. And yet, maybe one day I'll get to play some Wreckfest and should, get those final. We should host a Halcyon server for that at some point because that game's still oh, that'd be fun. so much. Fun. I'd be so down to read. Oh, like I, I'd I've be like, so into that. I've, I've not gotten very far into it, but I did put like forty hours into that game when it finally came out because I bought it for like six bucks when it was still called Next Car Game and air quotes dead and never going to come out. Yes. So yes, yes. Like I, yes. I would, I would like to play that game again, and there's plenty of content for it. So if we can 100%, find like percent, yeah two or three people to get it maybe we can get carrie to play it because she does like racing games be a lot of fun mm-hmm. yeah a lot, a lot that'd of fun. be great uh so you do have cs go mark down here i'm curious as to why what brought you to uh yeah i mean me too honestly i <laughs> was back i was in, into cs go big time like probably about five years ago yeah and very hard into the the pro scene and very very focused on trying to get better at that game and you know got to global elite which is the highest rank that you can get in that game in terms of rank competitive and basically for a good portion of my life it consumed me and uh after after a while i i swore it off and said never again and this week i've caved and i've installed it again and 
I'm now wondering why. Uh, nothing has changed. I feel awful about myself and it's still, <laughs> oh, um, I still kind of want to play more and I don't know why. Every, every, that's why I still watch <laughs> League of Legends streams. It's because like mm -hmm. there's part of my brain that's like, get back on that rank grind. And then the rest of me goes, no, I'd stop that in 2014 and I swear I'd never go back. <laughs> but like, I, I yeah. need to just watch. Whenever there's a new season of League of Legends, I watch like two weeks of League streams. I go back to all these old mm -hmm. channels I used to watch where the chat's so toxic it makes me want to throw up. And I just sit there and I watch and I oh, can't look away. <laughs> it is or like genuinely it is awful. Like it makes me cringe so like it used to make me cringe back in the day. Yeah. And I would say, you know, back when I was playing CSGO regularly, I was still pretty ignorant to a lot of like what made internet culture really, really toxic, especially in competitive games like that. But now I come back to it with like fresh eyes. Yeah. I'm just like, wow, this is absolutely abhorrent like it's just it's so bad man it is so bad jess did you, ever you know what that's like any games like that or sorry i was actually about to say that's that like um me and overwatch because overwatch mm. was the came out right around the time i got my first like legit gaming pc and so i hadn't really i like play played call of duty and like counter-strike and stuff but i hadn't really played it competitively, you know? So Overwatch was my very first experience with competitive, like, team-based FPS games. And I also was pretty ignorant to, like, what makes internet culture so toxic. Played that for a few years, then I quit. And then Blizzard sucked for a while, they still suck. But, you know, um, Overwatch 2 came out, and it's free, and I, like, didn't include it on my list because, like, that's, like, the part of me that is not stream Jess. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even consider it. I didn't even consider putting it on the list. But so I've been playing that recently. Um, you know, I've done the mental gymnastics because I don't have to pay for the game. That I'm not supporting Blizzard, so I feel yeah. okay with it. Mm -hmm. And I've been playing a lot of Overwatch, and people are really toxic. Yeah, like it's bad. Yeah, it's it's really bad. And I think the worst part about it is whenever you kind of talk about this stuff, there is just like a a willful ignorance or downplaying of how bad it is. And I'm just it's just so frustrating. It's so frustrating. I just hope that over time it'll slowly, you know, we can chip away at it and and make it better. But yeah, it's it's just it's just rough. There's it's this, just really rough. There's this really interesting thing as well that I saw, and this was a video that I saw on Twitter, and I could go dig and try and find it up, find it. But uh, I'm just gonna throw this in as an anecdote. There was a study put on by uh, women in gaming, and essentially what it was was they they took uh, uh, Brazilian uh, Valorant pros, so people like people who play Valorant professionally, go to tournaments, compete, and what they did was they put them into voice changers so that they sound like women to see what their kill-to-death ratios would be and their win-loss ratios would be versus when they're just using their normal voices. And it was, like, a thousand percent in the wrong direction when they were using the uh, voice changers. So when they used the voice changers, they lost every game, had terrible kill-to-death ratios, and it was to the point where, like, they wouldn't talk for the first half of a game at all, just muted. And they did great. Then they'd start talking with the voice changer on, and they wouldn't get another kill or win another round until the end of the... It was, it's, it's bonkers just how bad it is in places. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, like, yeah, it, it's toxic. Uh, it's toxic from a like a, a masculine perspective. Uh, but it is so many times worse for anybody that has a uh, a, a feminine uh, voice. It is horrific. Like, it is. It is just absolutely despicable. Like some of the harassment that people get. Oh, like, actually, I've got a lot of- like, go sorry, ahead. Go on. Sorry, <laughs> I'll I'll say my thing after. Uh, I I was just gonna say I've got a lot of uh friends that come from uh the CS:GO um you know uh, and and competitive shooter and competitive games in general, um who who are uh, female or have uh, feminine sounding voices and the harassment that they get is just so bad and a lot of them just refuse to talk um in in those games in just like uh because because of the harassment they get as soon as somebody realizes you know oh this is somebody that i can kind of harass like it's just yeah it's just bad that's messed up yeah so i had to just you know to speak exactly to this this was like maybe a month or so ago i was playing a game of like competitive Overwatch. And I guess from my name, my teammates inferred that I was a woman. And I like to play support, you know, like it's it's my favorite role. And they just started harassing me about like how bad I was, how bad I was at healing and stuff, and like just saying all kinds of like awful things and tr- like trying to insult me about things that like I don't really get why, like calling me ugly and stuff, and like, oh, you know, like don't pick on her. She can't help being ugly, but she can help getting better or like getting good and stuff. And I was just like, okay, I'm legit. Just not going to heal you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I just, Just I'm pretty sure that that's like a, I'm pretty sure that's a bannable offense, you know, like just refusing to to play. Um, But they got, they just, it kept getting worse and worse and worse stuff. Like um women shouldn't be allowed to play games like get off the computer and get in the kitchen kind of stuff and i was just like Uh, you gotta be kidding me this is like 2022 going on 2023 they they should pay rent and leave their mother's basement (laughs) yeah so i i stopped healing them for the rest of the game and then reported them and in my report was like yeah whatever i threw the game but i'm not gonna i'm not going to um endorse misogyny like this Mm. I think uh, to to your comment there, like I know it was a, a joke blind, but I think the the real problem about a lot of this stuff is that, you know, the the people that play these sorts of games, and in my personal experience, anecdotally, they're not likely to be people that just live in their parents' basements. They're they're actual people that are functioning members of society that are you know working in office jobs and working in retail and stuff like that, and yeah. normally they're people that would not. Uh, not kind of represent those kinds of edgy perspectives in their real life. And I think to some extent, I'd like to believe that they don't actually believe some of what they say, but it's like competitive gaming has created this outlet for this kind of toxicity where it's not only accepted, but a lot of the times encouraged. And that's probably the most frustrating thing is that it's just this, cesspool that where it's you know this is acceptable when it's really not there's a there's a league of legends streamer who i've watched for a god probably over 10 years actually i know for a fact over 10 years now because i've been watching him since he was on uh owned 3d or owned tv or whatever um 
back in like 2010. Uh, so I've been watching him for a very, very, very long time. And he doesn't stream full-time anymore. He streams maybe four times a month now. Um, and he's gotten... He has, he has a skill, which is he can tilt the other team. And it's straight up a competitive advantage because he just, he just starts haranguing them immediately, like upon start of the game. Like that, and it's part of his strat, and it helps him win. And he stays up in the ranks because he just harasses the other team the entire time. And, and it's like games that... And like he, he's not gonna go after people f for like it's it's all just straight up game skill is usually what it is. It's just like oh well you know you could have killed me there if you did this kind of stuff and just like being very pokey and that is a competitive advantage. And it's when games are designed around trying to infer a competitive advantage for yourself, it 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 exacerbates that issue. And it's like. To a point where it's also part of the entertainment of the stream is just him flaming the other team. Or in some cases, his own team, uh, if he's losing, right? And it's like, it's this really weird kind of culture box, I guess, where it's just like, you are directly benefited in a lot of instances for directly harassing other people in the game and making it an unpleasant play environment. Because if it makes you excel and do better, that is a net positive for that player. And it's really difficult to kind of say, okay, where does the trash talk end and it just become blatant, like, attacking somebody? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally, I feel like there's a very specific line where trash talking about somebody's ability in a game or, you know, something they've done in the game that is contributing to your ability to win or lose that game and then, you know, making it personal about the characteristics or something about the, like a, an immutable characteristic about that person's character um, that d directly crosses a line. Like, I don't think it's necessarily as gray as maybe some people might like to think it is. Um, but I mean, that's, yeah, that's probably just my opinion, but yeah. It's it's weird. Like I mean, like it happens in actual sports too, right? Like you know, in football, when they, yeah, when everybody's lining up to for like to to ram into each other, they're talking to each other, right? Like they're at, like adding each. And there's a reason they don't mic up football players in American footballs because it would just be a wall <laughs> of curse words, right? Um, like like it's it's part of sport to a degree. The problem is, is it's part of sport behind a wall of anonymity, where you can't do that, but also you have all of the tools to do that, right? Like, you might be harassing someone's kid, you know? It's, it's... Well, I mean... Uh, crazy. So, I mean, I, I can't speak about American sport culture, but certainly in Australia, like, there is definitely a lot of, you know, kind of rules about what you can... Wh what is appropriate to kind of uh, trash talk about in, in games. Like, you... Like, there is repercussions and there are like lots of cases of players being suspended or banned for you know uh you know saying a slur to another player or um you know doing something egregious mm -hmm. that goes beyond you know just normal trash talk um and again that kind of comes back to as soon as you make it personal about that person's immutable characteristics then that Certainly. is i think where it crosses the line th th this like also reminds me of like um uh, I can't remember his name now, but the NASCAR driver that got in trouble during the pandemic because they were holding online racing competitions in, e in an esports setting. 
Um, yeah, correct. And there yeah. was like, you know, slurs thrown out there, right? Like it's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's bah. Anyway, we're falling down a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good, good talk though. <laughs> sorry, sorry to derail the, the game chat with that, uh, that one, but uh, uh, yeah. I mean, so I, I'm in CSGO and I, I, I hate myself do you for need it, help? but uh, I am still enjoying it. If I can DM you and tell you to stop playing CSGO every time you launch it. Thanks. I appreciate you. <laughs> Play better video games. Speaking of better video games, um, we've all been playing a lot of Dwarf Fortress, um, which so much. unlike CSGO has a warm, welcoming, lovely community that just wants to see all of your dwarves explode into piles of teeth and blood and mucus. Uh, so... <laughs> I am consistently impressed with just how amazing the dwarf fortress community is like they are genuinely as a new player and a new person coming into the community like like, so friendly so friendly so supportive and so helpful like it's like honestly i i was talking about it last stream and i was i was i've just been blown away i've loved it so I, I, I obviously have tons of stuff I can say, but I, I think that the thing that I, I really want to start off with is um, PC Gamer posted an article recently um, where they had a couple quotes from Zach and Tarn. Um, in the first day, they sold 160,000 copies. That was confirmed by captain of Kit Fox Games, Tanya Short. Um, and uh, so they sold 160 plus thousand copies the first day. And uh, four days afterwards, this PC Gamer article was posted where Tarn said that they've doubled that. So they're over 300,000. Wow. And that was already like, I think like five days ago now. So they, they've sold over like 300 plus thousand copies of this game. Um, and which is something like $9 million in gross revenue, not counting Steam's cut, not counting uh, Kit Fox's cut. But like, that's huge paycheck that Zach and Tarn are going to be getting in February. And um, I, I think Zach had a pretty good quote saying, you know, we, we just had the ultimate um money making tactic where we just simply make sure that everybody's already completely and fathomably in love with our video game before we actually charge money for it and then still release it for free a couple weeks later <laughs> um, <laughs> which is like and then everybody else who's on the fence can go try it for free and if you like it go buy the official tile set um so it's uh yeah. it's 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 been fun to watch and I'm super duper happy for those dudes can't wait to talk to them again yeah, that is it is it is really a great case study for it turns out if you spend the time and the effort to make a genuinely great video game, people will recognize that, take it, run with it and support it just wholeheartedly and I love that. So, uh where do we really want to start with this? Um boy it's it's been it's once again been a, a lot of me and Drongo talking. I think so. Jess, talk to us a little bit about your experience with Dwarf Fortress. I think over, since the last episode that we recorded this. Oh geez, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I'd love to hear some of your Dwarf Fortress stories. Maybe some of your more outlandish uh, events that perhaps have happened. I had honestly a- somehow my fort has been so tame. I, I like I just I don't know how it's happening. I have 150 dwarves and I've only had one one incident of combat. And it was a two-headed Eden, and I called blind and um requested help via the Dwarf Fortress Help Hotline. I so love that that's been a thing. 
<laughs> and I was just like, this is my first time in combat. What do I do? And it was fine. And so like my fort's just been chill. The and it's all bards. Most outlandish thing that I th- well, I, I had a fortress go up in flames to a wear monitor lizard uh, outbreak, which was horrific and vile and very dark. But um, the most outlandish thing that I happened ha- had happened was there's a, a an event in the game that happens now as part of the, the early parts of the villains arc. It was supposedly supposed to be in the game in the last version, but just was broken, so it never actually happened. Where you get an event stating the dead walk hide while you still can. And then a handful of zombies walk on your map. Not very many. It's usually like four or five. And then several intelligent undead walk on your map and a cup and a handful of necromancers. And they run, make, they beeline for your stockpiles and they try and steal as many corpses as they can and they run off the map. One time I had these three intelligent undead zombies that for some reason, instead of wielding weapons, were wielding coffins. And they, every other time this has happened to me, it's happened a good number of times now. They're always wielding weapons like spear and shield, right? They were all wielding coffin and shield. I don't know why. One of them was an artifact. <laughs> like they just had these coffins for some reason, which I think is oh coffin coffin. Yeah, like I think you put a body in. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And so y- they just. Like, I heard something completely different. <laughs> is it like the Pokemon coughing? Is that what you heard? <laughs> Coffee? I heard coffin. Oh, coffin. I was just like, what? What is that? A- Never heard that before. <laughs> hmm. Coffin, or sarcophagus, I guess technically. Um, but yeah, so, so they showed up like with these and I I was like, wait, hold on a second. Are there things in them? And then I looked at them and they were assigned to themselves. So they were carrying their, so they just got out of their their coffins. (laughs) That's actually very funny. I love that. So it's just like buried in here. The guy that's carrying it. It's like, uh, I've had so far, I've had two undead sieges and I'm yet to see any coffin bearers, but, uh, I'll make sure to keep an eye out. If, if you get any, any kind of siege, though, pro tip, make sure to examine them and look for markings on their armor, which are like these tiny little brackets on either side of the armor, which in, states that there's an image on there, and it'll tell you what faction they're from. Oh, yeah. okay. Interesting, interesting. But um, I, I guess kind of a, a, an, another easy way we could start this is we could talk about systems, which is uh, what systems have, have you guys been diving into recently, and like what are some things that you've been learning about the game that maybe either surprised you or you're just kind of been enjoying the process of learning uh, i can definitely speak to this because um i've I, and it actually probably ties into neatly uh one of my more uh interesting story arcs that i've had so i've been learning about the justice system within dwarf fortress which was a big surprise to me to find it that it's so incredibly fleshed out and there is just so much nuance to it and I was just blown away once I started getting involved in it. So I ended up going down this rabbit hole because uh, we had a group of migrants join. And not long after, a uh, one of my dwarves turned up dead in their bedroom. And that happened to me! Drained. I, Sorry? <laughs> that happened to me. Why, when you mentioned the justice system, I was like, oh yeah, that's how my stream ended. One of my oh. dwarves was found dead in bed. Yes. And so yes. next stream, we're doing the justice system. Yeah. Diving oh, in. You're going to get to play Sherlock Holmes. Amazing. Nice. Um, I, I, so what ended up happening on my end was I launched an investigation. I built a jail and I assigned a captain of the guard 
and we we drew up a list of suspects and the, the suspects and the first person we interrogated as part of our investigation uh turned out um well what happened was we got into the interrogation and the captain of the guard was uh very very flirtatious and seduced <laughs> the uh seduced the uh, person we were interrogating and they just straight up confessed to the murder and being a vampire in our colony and uh then confessed to a long and troubled history of going to other settlements and all kinds of plots that uh, they'd <laughs> unraveled in in past settlements that they'd been a part of. And we ended <laughs> up um, punishing them by giving them eternal administration duty. And we've locked that we've sealed them into a room where they shall henceforth suffer. Uh, at the hands of paperwork. Phenomenal. They're really good uh, front door cuts? openers too. Give them a lever. Yes, we've it. got levers in there as good, well. Good, good. So yeah, we've we've got full lever and administration meta. Well, one of my favorite vampire situations was I, I looked them up and not only had this person been a vampire that had been killing people in my fort for two years, but they'd also killed people in previous forts without me noticing somehow and also um had convinced other people to go steal items from my previous forts uh from different oh locations God. at a distance who i had caught in some cases um so yeah <laughs> like there it, wow. it is it is like full-on clue levels of like oh okay i can just connect the dots and then even better, once you have access to adventure mode, then you could retire the fortress and find this dude's home base and kill everybody there and get your items back. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't wait for adventure mode, but I was just so blown away about this whole system that I didn't even expect to exist and be as detailed as it was. It was um, it was a it was a both terrifying and wonderful because it now makes me question what else i don't know yet and uh, there is a lot that i don't know that system was the um, first half of the villains arc which was added in right before they started working on this version of the game that we're all playing now um so back at the beginning of 2020 and that's half of it <laughs> uh, approximately half of it so um, yeah right. looking forward to the other half of it but uh, Jess, uh, have, have, you, have you any similar experiences or anything you want to build on on that topic? Um, not on that topic in particular. I will maybe have something to say about it next week. Okay. Once I launch my investigation. But I have to say, I think my favorite mechanic or system, and I'm going to cheat and say, like, building. <laughs> Just sandboxing in the game. It's playing Minecraft. I, Flat Minecraft's yeah, great. I I just really like it. It's I was explaining to my chat like it's my favorite parts of RimWorld, which are having an early colony and planning it and like bringing it up from nothing and watching it grow and flourish without all the combat. It's just like maybe there'll be combat, but it could you can also just live for five years without any combat. Sure, totally. Like in my fort. Or there can absolutely and I just, be I, combat. Like constant combat if you want. Yeah. It. Just settle next to I just people who don't really like it. I really like it. I think I, I picked a place that was 
really isolated and also in a calm slash serene area. So I think that has something to do with it. Mm. It's very chill on my tile. And so I've just been, I've just been, I've just been living my, my mountain life. Building the, it's been so nice. I've just, I just like to, to dig and build and then dig and build some more and dig and then build more. Although what did take me a very long time to get over has been industry okay or grow accustomed to i should say because i'm over here like thinking about it in room world style like what goes into this like i'm making a fine meal like where what's the ingredients what ingredients do i need how many do i need and chat's like you, you just make it <laughs> i'm like from what <laughs> the, the <laughs> like do fell. i need like two parts veggies like <laughs> they're like you, you, ju you just make it you need like three ingredients that's it e and like <laughs> one of my favorite quotes that about has the been system was from tarn adams which is like if you want a good cooking system play caves of cud because like the dwarf fortress cooking system has gone through so many layers of like being utterly busted over the years like you know how when you read a, a dwarf's thoughts it'll say their preferred food stuff right mm -hmm. well no <laughs> okay well th there is a line in their thoughts where it says prefers to consume water buffalo Right. Oh, but what it okay. doesn't tell you is that he wants to eat water buffalo tripe that is specifically minced. And you have oh no Lord. ability to figure that out in game without using external RAM hacking tools. And oh, you geez. also uh, have no way of like figuring that out unless you know where to look for it. Right. And also, it may also be a material that is completely unavailable in your world. They might want to eat panda intestines. And your world has no pandas. Because it's very possible for your world to just have no pandas because they tend to go extinct very early on because there's never enough bamboo. But So, like, it's, <laughs> it's this weird, like, system of, like, well, they want one of the foodstuffs that it, w both of their parents liked, right? Because that's how they get what? their traits is from their parents. So it's like a scrambling of their parents' traits, um, which is, like, based on their basic genetic system. But it's, like... Okay. But then they threw that whole system out the window two updates ago and changed it to yes they'll get a extra special moodlet if they get that specific food stuff but instead they just get the happy thoughts from just the masterwork quality meals so if you just make really high quality meals they'll be just as happy as they would be if they got that specific ingredient in a lower quality meal um which is done wonders for the stress system and made dwarves a lot easier to manage but yeah, the, the, the cooking mm -hmm. in Dwarf Fortress at this point is very, very, very basic, but can give you some really strange meals like, you know, dog fat biscuits made with dog fat and dog fat and dog fat. I mean, I'm down. I think that's just butter, <laughs> actually. But like, <laughs> yeah, so, but. I, I, I think that something that I've definitely seen a lot and like I, I, I had the pleasure of jumping onto Arch Play's stuff stream this past week and kind of backseated him a little bit. And I feel like a lot of the conversation just kind of came down to like, okay, unlearn Rimworld. <laughs> like you have to, yeah. Yeah. It, they're, they're, they're two such different approaches to a similar concept that like you, you have to unlearn everything that you've learned to play Rimworld competently to play Dwarf Fortress competently. Maybe not everything, but a lot of things. Yeah, that really, that really threw me for like the first couple days. Especially, like, just trying to build work orders and mm -hmm. everything. And just, you queue them up, and it just happens. You don't have to 
be so specific, like manage so closely as you would in a railroad colony. And like, I just had a really hard time letting that go. But just like, he, but here's the wrinkle <laughs> is you can make three separate give stockpiles, set them all to give to your kitchen and set those stockpiles to specific materials. And then you can do that. And also you can queue up specific dwarves to work at specific workshops. So if you want to do that yeah. and want to put the time well, into I know programming that now. the game to do that, you can make that happen. But you don't mm. need to. Yeah. Well, so I know that now. In, in theory, I haven't actually really done it. But just like those, those first couple of days, like when I was just trying to get the fort going and making food and making items, it was just like, it was so difficult because I was so caught up on this idea that like I have to find my ingredients i have to like know what i'm putting in like i need to say that this is a like which you can do you know like you can say iron armor or whatnot but mm. i'm like where's where's my components and my cloth and like what goes into this is it like 40x cloth you know <laughs> like so it's just it's it's much more easy it's much simpler i i mean just just don't worry about how many mugs comes out of one block when you make mugs <laughs> or goblets because it's not one. It's not one-to-one. One. Um, you get four. But uh, oh. the, there, there's, a me- there's a mechanic that has surprised me that was added in, in this version. that, Or two, actually, that have kind of blew my mind. Um, the first one is armor stands and ar- weapon racks work. Now, uh, they've been in the game as long as I can remember. And they've never worked. They've never used them for anything. They've never actually put armor or weapons on them. But they've always been needed to make barracks in the past. So yeah. you would put them in the barracks and they just sit there and the dwarves would train around them and ignore them. <laughs> is how they've always worked before. And now dwarves actually put their weapons and armor on them and I'm ecstatic about it. I am so, it's is that- so cool <laughs> to see them put their armor weapons on them. But if you have a weapon and armor stockpile, then another dwarf will run in, grab the stuff off of them and put it in the weapon and <laughs> other stuff stockpile. So it's like, oh, I see. I was going to say, do they do that if you have them set to train constantly? Uh, no, they, they, because... they do that only if they are set to train and then take time off and not wear their armor. So if you set them to take time off and not keep their armor equipped, which is the default, they will take their armor off and weapons off and put them all on the racks if you have them set to store their stuff in that zone. I see, because mine have not been using them. Yeah. In, when, but they also train constantly. When, when you set them up, you have several different options it's like sleeps here uh trains here stores armor here stores ammo here so if you have them set to train there and store armor and weapons there and you have weapon and armor racks they they will each take one weapon rack and armor okay which is it's super cool too like you can see there are separate sets of armor on the thing it's just real neat i don't know that made me super giddy well what was the other thing that you were excited about? Uh, so in the nobles screen, uh, you can assign individual artifacts to nobles, which makes them really mm-hmm. happy. And you can, yep. you can just assign any item. So like there's somebody in my Discord server who's been obsessing over just abs- assigning like 15 mugs to his barons. So she's just like carrying <laughs> like, a stack of mugs. It's like, I like the idea of this balancing challenge. It's like, ah, 
<laughs> you are so mean. That's great. Uh, but like, so so there's stuff like that, uh, which I'd really like. But also, it, it gives artifacts an actual use now. Um, there's th there's two artifact uses now. You can give them to people as like the, the item that they carry around in for the nobles, but they also use them as part of a parlay for enemy sieges. So bigger goblin sieges that show up can offer a parlay, which is uh, give us a item of X amount of value, and we will leave. Which I think is a really neat mechanic because previously the way sieges worked was it was just siege shows up and there's no way to make them go away. And I think that because like Dwarf Fortress, while it is a extraordinarily complex game, it's also a very casual game if you want it to be, right? Like it's it, it requires mm -hmm. a lot of game knowledge, but you can play it pretty casually and like avoid a lot of the mechanics that are punishing. Um, and I think that that's a, a really neat mechanic and I really like the fact that it's there because it gives you like a, I, I mean, you'll probably always have, I would assume, enough value to be able to make them parlay and leave you alone, which is really cool, actually. Hmm. I think one of the mechanics that I was pleasantly surprised at, just in terms of the impact it had, was um, the way that personality affected the forgotten beasts that showed up for me. So I had a, a forgotten beast that turned up in my caverns and I immediately put my caverns into lockdown and unfortunately one of my dwarves didn't make it out. One of my legendary miners um, got trapped in the caverns with this beast and the, and the forgotten beast chased it down but it happened to have the personality trait which meant it avoided conflict or uh, avoided combat and also was very passive in discussions apparently. And what this resulted in was chasing down my dwarf and over the course of several months having repeated meetings with my dwarf where they'd have long discussions about something uh, and then eventually they would end the meeting and occasionally it would come to a brief round of fisticuffs and <laughs> like my dwarf would get a little bit bruised but then would manage to to scamper off and the beast would chase it down again and they'd have another meeting and another discussion where they'd have a long conversation and this happened again and again and again uh but unfortunately eventually one of the discussions went so bad that the uh the forgotten beast which was a, a giant uh six-legged crocodile with long purple hair called Unzo uh, kicked my dwarf so hard in the right eyelid that their uh, head came off, still connected to their spine, and went sailing across the caverns, um, thus ending our attempted diplomacy with a forgotten beast. But that whole interaction and series of events was just Man, it was just peak Dwarf Fortress. I was just like, I now feel like I'm part of all of those amazing stories that I'd read online about Dwarf Fortress. I was like, yes, I am I'm getting the game experience because this is just bizarre and unprecedented. I, I have a question. So how many hours did it take I have you a to question too. encounter that? <laughs> and then Jess's question can go. Uh I think we got I, I, I encountered that about twenty-five hours in. Yep. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yes, you can go. The beast was Unzu, right? Unzu, yeah, correct. Was Unzu then upset that they did that? Did they regret it? Uh, I would like to think they were remorseful, um, but unfortunately the law has proven that 
Uh, the other thing was, and this is apparently somewhat uncommon, is that they were 700 years old without any kills. Oh, wow. Um, so, um, and that was kind of the reaction that a lot of veteran Dwarf Fortress players were, had was, oh, wow, okay, that's uh, unique. Um, and unfortunately, since then, since gaining a first taste of blood, they have turned into a little bit of a murder machine. And they have just been killing kind of everything that just ends up in the caverns now, uh, including fish people and other forgotten beasts. So it's it's been a it's been a time. One of these days. Are- okay, my headcanon is that Unzu is just so upset about their actions that they're just taking it out on the world around them. I, I, that's what I, I want agree. to believe that's my head cannon as well one of the first times I made it down to the third cavern layer so admittedly this was a long time ago in a very different version of the game I opened up the caverns and the entire and I'd been in the fort for a good couple like five years or something so there was some time that had been going opened up the caverns and the entire thing was covered in blood and there was 20-30 dead forgotten beasts there was thousands, and I'm not even exaggerating, dead crundles, uh, dead jabberers, dead cave crawlers, uh, dead gorlax, plump helmet men. Uh, there was entire groups and families of reptilian people with bloat arts, all dead, that had all rotted and been dead for years. Some of them still rather fresh. Um, and I just retired the fortress and opened it up in Legends mode to see what was going on in that cave lair. And uh, there was a local family of cave dragons that was just off to the north, who I never actually saw in game. I did reclaim that fortress or continue playing it because I copied the save file before I retired it to look at it in Legends. And I never did see them, but apparently they just would pop down there, murder a bunch of stuff and go back. And they each had like (laughs) thousands of kills. So while I was playing initially in this fortress, there was like this battle of the titans going on in the basement between like dragons flightless cave dragons and um just forgotten beasts of all shapes and sizes and varieties and the local flora and fauna it was wild That's right amazing. under your nose yeah right there while we were just like hanging out in the second cavern layer building stuff <laughs> just a few layers down hey greg i made a nice mug over here what's that thumping <laughs> going on downstairs <laughs> Ooh, don't worry about it it's like drums, drums, drums in the deep. <laughs> Screams from the things that lurk below. But Yeah, I, I, I've had some pretty weird visitors. Uh, I, I think that uh, there, there's one which is a, a naked human. Uh, or uh, This was one that blew up on the subreddit, which I could scroll up and find. But um, there was a, somebody spotted a naked human adventurer uh, that was wielding a, a shield and a helmet in his left hand, and his uh, last name was Nut Crusher. Um, <laughs> Amazing. So that one was pretty on point. Big fan of that. Um, yep. <laughs> Classic Nut Crusher. Yep. Uh, I, I've definitely had a, a few funny, uh, like, just characters show up. It's like, Oh, you have five wives, and you've been part of eighteen factions. Um, man, I wonder why you have no friends. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> like, it's 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 just good to, yeah. I think I said this last week, but it's just good to see people enjoying the video game. Mm. 
But um, for sure, is there anything that you two have like bumped up against that's been like frustrating or like a negative experience? Yes. Hit me with it. <laughs> um, specifically building with walls and floors. Sure, they're a lot and less funky now. You should have seen like, them in the last version. <laughs> I, it really drives me insane. <laughs> like nothing in this game bothers me as much as trying to like place down walls or floors, because like I unless there's a way to do it that I haven't figured out. Like you. If you just let them pick the materials, I guess it would come down to making your stockpiles very specific and like close to what you're trying to build. But you have to go through and like make a bauxite wall and then pick your blocks and then draw the next piece and pick your blocks. And it's like frustrating. So they, uh, the most recent patch added in now that there's an option that you can select yeah, all. Yeah, there's on the it, all button. Which helps. But but it's still really finicky. And the one thing that does annoy me about that, that system is that the menu changes yes. uh, depending on what <laughs> what then becomes closest. Uh, I, I assume that is what decides mm -hmm. what it presents you in order, but it really should have the option at least to just stay the same in alphabetical order so you know where you're scrolling to each time. And... Yes, agreed. The other thing, like along those lines, is when you open up your stocks, that button in the top that opens up stocks, um, you have to every time like scroll to find what you're looking for and then recollapse the lists and then like find your item, look at it. And then if you're looking for multiple things from the same category, you have to keep doing that. Like you can't pin something, like pin my blocks and keep these blocks collapsed. And so that, I feel like I waste so much time just digging through menus. The other really annoying thing about stocks is that, uh, and walls specifically, and floors, is that it, uh, actually I don't know about floors, but it definitely is the case for walls, but it counts the materials that you've got in your walls As towards your overall stockpile, oh. which is really bizarre <laughs> that that is a thing but it's also really misleading if you occasionally forget that it's like oh yeah i built some platinum walls so i don't actually have a hundred platinum in stockpile um i only actually have five you know they show up it's, as uh, red for whatever uh, it's worth, but they show up as what a different color like so uh, in, in the overall category mm. it says the number of item you have and then in red next to it the in red ones are the ones that are already in use. That's good to know. Hmm. Okay. I don't recall seeing anything in red next to mine, but I'll, I'll yeah, I'll keep that in mind for next time I look at it. Um. The that that menu, <laughs> the stockpile has been, uh, or the stock screen, I, I should say, has been completely reorganized. Um. Eighty percent of it is no longer in tools now, which is really nice. Books have their own section. Books used to be a tool for some reason <laughs> like beats me as to why uh and um so I, I i think that these the stock screen has seen a massive improvement the one thing the the kind of two things that i would say about constructing stuff out of specific materials is either a make a stockpile for the material that you want to use for that building project and put it close to that and then remove it from all other stockpiles or alternatively if you go into the overall stock screen, you can mass forbid items, I think. I don't know where the button is now. 
But uh, you used to, at the very least, be able to mass forbid items. And what we used to do is we would just go into the stock screen, forbid everything that wasn't the material that you needed for that project, and then it would just be the first one on the list. Mm, okay. But like, I, I guess that kind of works, unless you're me and have like seven projects happening at once. Yeah, that 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 tends <laughs> yeah. to happen. Like, I, I think dwarven ADHD is a a very common player trait. I'm just like, I'm doing this and 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 then something collapses because like you forgot that you had to build this thing. Literally the last two streams I've set out at the start of the stream going, I'm going to set up my military properly today and I'm going to really dig into this mechanic and understand how it works. And yet I am still yet to finish my barracks because I keep getting sidetracked by other things, whether it be being attacked by hill titans or forgotten beasts or whatever it is. It's just, uh, you know, I just keep getting sidetracked. Yeah, Me too. I have, like, grand plans for my fort, and I just I don't know how I'm going to get to them at the rate that I'm playing. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I... I'm really trying to learn everything, like, in depth as I go. And so this can lead to me spending like one hour doing something or, you know, more or even less, but just completely unrelated to whatever it was I set out to do that day yep. for that stream. Mm -hmm. And so, like, am I ever going to get underground water? I Probably not. Not, not in this fort. I'm, I, you know, the, the, the way that I learned Dwarf Fortress was I would be like, all right, this fortress is about military. We're building the military. And if the dwarves are pissed, don't care. And then the next fort was... Well, in this fort, we're making a lava moat. I don't know how, but we're going to figure it out. And then the next fort was, all right, this fort, we're going to focus on invading people. Let's do that. And then the next fort's, you know, let's focus on building a tower or let's make glass. And I, I think kind of focusing each fort on one kind of thing or like this fort, we're going to make a tavern and we're going to focus on the justice system and everything is going to be pumped into the justice system. And I want to interrogate every visitor and try and find every crime in the land. And you can very much <laughs> theme include, and you can even interrogate animals, which is hilarious because you can interrogate a cat and it will what? give you an interrogation report of interrogating the cat. They usually refuse to comply. Oh my God. <laughs> like you can do it. Um, that you can also in, like. I do know my uh, cat usually refuses a, to comply. You can also in, accuse a dead dog of committing the murder, um, because <laughs> um, it just lets you do that, and uh, they 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 will comply. Uh, in fact, there's actually a, a pretty funny like line from one of the early releases that, uh, or one of the early preview footage bits that uh, Zach put out when, of one of his forts where he was, he was just a little fortress tour, and he clicks on a dwarf and he says. Just pa in passing, that uh, a dwarf was, uh, uh, I think, shocked was the the line that it uses. It's like uh, is shocked after a goose was uh, accused of committing a crime. <laughs> it's like, okay, have I you mean, played Untitled Goose Game? But like, you could do that. You, you could uh, like pin all the crimes on a chicken. I mean, it'll piss half your dwarves off. You could have a literal scapegoat. Yeah, you could accuse a goat of all the crimes. <laughs> and th the best part is, is some dwarves value the law. If you read all their descriptions, some of them value the law. Some disdain the law. They'll get happy thoughts from that. I love it. So, like, it's a... The, the justice system is wild and it's fun to dig into. <laughs> yeah, that... Uh, I know what I'm going to do next stream, and that is interrogate some animals. Um... <laughs> See what happens. See what that leads me. I, I had a pretty funny moment. It usually... Go on. 
I was just going to make a joke about usually ends with confused looks when I interrogate my animals. Yeah. <laughs> what are you saying to me, Hoban? Um, I had a pretty <laughs> funny moment, actually, where uh, I suddenly realized like two-thirds of my dwarves were telling a story um, in one of my, in, in my tavern. And, or listening to a story. I was like, oh, I wonder what story they're telling, because it's usually some sort of event previously in the tavern. And I selected the dwarf that was telling the story, and it was a story about how a dwarf successfully corrupted another dwarf in my fort to steal an artifact. So, oh my God. a dwarf from an, or, or some character who came in and visited, corrupted one of my dwarves who was actively in my fort to steal an artifact. And so I interrogated that dwarf, and it failed. Interrogated them a second time, and it succeeded, and then that dwarf got arrested. Wow. Feels bad. It's like I stuff like that. Like it's if you pay attention, there's a lot of things going on. It's just happening. It's just up to you to notice it. Yeah, I think my biggest regret right now is that my population has grown so massively, but I don't know much about the dwarves and the um, humans. And I think we have a goblin and a lizard person that lives in my fort mm-hmm. too. I don't know much about like any of them. My biggest regret is. That I didn't learn more about them as they joined. Mm. I, I had this conversation with Archplay stuff on his stream where it was just a dwarf fortress. Like, don't don't worry about following every person, right? Because you're going to end up with a lot of dwarves, and it's going to be really difficult to follow follow them. And I've seen some comments on my YouTube videos about this too, where it's just like, how do I follow all of these characters? It's like the if you watch people like Krug Smash on YouTube, or if you watch people who use dwarf fortress very much as like a D and D generator or something, you don't see people following every dwarf. What you do see is you see every fort has maybe a dozen main characters. So what I would say is don't worry about every fort. Worry about like that lizard person who's cool. Worry about the necromancer experiment that's just like a writhing ball of tentacles that moved in. Uh, worry about the, um, the vampire that you have locked in the walls that pulls the lever and make them your main characters. Give them a nickname, name them after a viewer, name them after your, uh, your pets, your friend or whatever and follow their stories because it's way easier to get to know half a dozen to a dozen dwarves than it is to follow all 220 or however many you have. Yeah, that makes sense. I still yeah. want to know more about them. Like, think about it this like, way. Why, you know, why I, are they here? I, I hate The Hobbit <laughs> at movies. I think they're terrible films. But The Hobbit is an interesting story because it follows a band of characters, right? And they go from place to place mm-hmm. and they go on adventures. In every single major conflict and every single major fight, right, people are dying left and right. Like, there's just blood everywhere. And, like, especially at the end when they assault, like, the, the volcano of smog, right? And there's that huge multi-pronged battle. Many characters die and all sorts of stuff happens. But there's, like, thousands of deaths around them, right? That's the other yeah. 190 dwarves that you have. They're your cannon fodder, right? Like, they're gun- they're- people are going to die. People are going to fall into the river, and they're going to drown, and you're going to have to drain it and get their body out. And, like, the antics will happen, and someone will turn into a were-creature and rip a bunch of people apart. But the it- it's-, it's the stories of the main characters that you really want to follow because that's the easiest way to get the most narrative out of Dwarf Fortress, in my experience. Yeah, that makes sense. So. I mean, if you're crazy, I guess you could follow every single dwarf out of 200, but, or you could like drop your population limit down, settle on a desert island and just like have 18 dwarves. At least I've, I've found in mind that my, I I typically 
have a couple of main characters that sort of naturally emerge as you're playing the game that makes it a little bit easier whether they're particularly notable or whether they're particularly troublesome um you know it, it makes for some interesting character development to kind of follow them along uh, one way or another yeah so i mean at, at the end of the day it's just it's it's a matter of finding systems and ideas and setups and things that work for you that allow you to give yourself an interesting narrative i guess um but uh i've kind of i feel like we're kind of wrapping up this topic pretty well um is there anything else we want to say before we, we go to news uh no i'm no, i don't old. think so sweet i'm all I just have more out. to learn all right more to learn looking forward to hearing about that justice system jess and um the mysterious dwarves appearing with no blood in them and uh we're gonna go to news so when we come back right after this short break we're gonna talk about some things that are interesting and stood out to us in the news this week and uh we'll be right back after this hi this is arch from arch play stuff if you're enjoying the podcast don't forget to leave a like subscribe or leave a review everyone matters now back to the cast and we're back with episode i'm blanking on the number 48 of the halcyon frequency podcast uh and this is the section where we talk about the news so uh this first year story i'm gonna pass it off to drongo to do the introductions on because it's in most in his sphere yeah so um there has been some interesting news involving Henry Cavill over the last few weeks, um, uh, including the fact that he's no longer going to be uh, starring in the Witcher TV series, and most recently announcing that he will no longer be starring in the Superman franchise of movies. Um, and that was pretty upsetting to a lot of people, uh, including myself, who did actually enjoy him in The Witcher. Uh, however, there may be a silver lining within all of this because it has just been announced that uh, there is a potential Warhammer 40k uh, TV show uh, coming soon that is going to be produced by and um, potentially starring Henry Cavill, which is very, very exciting because I don't think we've seen a proper production from this universe and there is so much potential. And um, knowing how passionate uh, Henry Cavill is about like this fandom, I really hope this is going to be good and I really hope that it, it, it does it justice. Yeah, I, I'm going to watch this, whatever it ends up being, because I, I love the aesthetics and the storytelling of Warhammer. I just have no interest in the tabletop side of things. So mm -hmm. very curious. Like, I, I would like to see some money thrown at some space battles for Warhammer, but I don't know what it's going to end up looking like. So, I mean, it could I also mean, there's a reason end up going full fantasy, too. So curious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a reason why this IP is just about everywhere, just beyond the fact that uh, it, it's actually pretty cheap and easy, it seems, to get a licensed IP for War the Warhammer universe from Games Workshop. Uh, but the other reason is because it's really, really cool, and it's there's so much to it that you can do a lot of really interesting things within that universe that they've got. So... At, yeah, I, I'm I'm just super, super excited. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm curious. Hopefully it turns out well. Uh, Jess, do you want to take this, uh, this next year article? Sure. So it just came out earlier this week that the Final Fantasy remake, Crisis Core, Final Fantasy VII Reunion, was released and it was a, a pretty solid remastering. Um, except that some of the images in the... What, what chapter was it? Chapter 8? Yeah, that's what it says on the website. Chapter 8. Yeah, chap chapter 8. There are some Getty images watermarks in some of the images in the mansions. I'm not sure if it's a mansion or a set of mansions, but they are found throughout multiple paintings in this level or this chapter. This is just really funny to me because like, I know in a lot of game dev, there's a lot of placeholder images used throughout development for different things. And I guarantee you, this is one of those instances of a dev just like threw all these in, noted down, change these later, and then just nobody did just forgot to change it <laughs> like it just got lost in translation <laughs> somewhere and it never got taken out and it's just like well someone's in trouble over this but wow that's really funny <laughs> like like I, I can't can't get I, I i just kind of feel bad but also that's just it is, it is like very obvious too yeah no like anybody who's paying attention to the art on the wall probably noticed that right in the middle of the screen <laughs> it's like you can't miss it yeah like <laughs> right in the middle of the painting yeah yeah player like eye level and everything <laughs> but apparently it was a good remake yep uh, people are really enjoying the uh crisis core rebuild which is cool it's it's nice to see all that stuff yeah it's it's nice to see that 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 uh fandom happy because they've been mad for so long you know on the topic of uh, I, people I suppose so. being <laughs> mad, though, Elon Musk's Twitter <laughs> bans and blocks links to uh, rival social media service Mastodon, which is a service that... What a segue. Yeah, which is a, a thing that I've been using for a while, which really makes me actually sit here thinking, okay, it's liter literally my at, like, at BlindIRL on Twitter is at BlindIRL at Mast.to is my name. So it's like, what are they going to do to combat that? And am I going to like randomly get banned from Twitter now for having Mastodon as my name? Uh, we'll see. Yes. Pro I mean, probably, yeah. right? Nice knowing you, mate. It's probably going to happen, right? Like, I, 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 this is just low on so many levels. Like, I don't know of another social media platform that has done this. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I have yeah, a lot I mean, to a lot and nothing to say on it <laughs> at I mean, the same outside, time outside of uh you know more closely monitored countries like china yeah i can't think of any instances either there may be um but i can't think of any off the top of my head the the ceo of mastodon has been pretty like flat out taking a pretty hard anti-elon musk approach to the way they're running their business um and has had a number of choice quotes out there, which apologies if I misquote slightly, but things like, uh, we don't want advertisements on our platform. We don't want sponsored content on our platform. Uh, we want the opposite of what Elon Musk is trying to do to Twitter. Um, we, you know, there are bad people on Mastodon, but we're going to do our best to make sure that they don't get a platform with Mastodon. Um, to the point where, like, even as somebody, I guess, who could be pointed at and called an influencer, like... Even I'm a little worried that maybe that there will be people that'll push back against me for like sharing my streams and whatnot. But 
my experience on Mastodon uh, since I've, you know, actively been using it, I guess now for what, like over two months, um, it's been the nicest social media platform I think I've used since mm. maybe MySpace at the beginning of MySpace. How is Mastodon monetized? I don't, I don't think I've actually looked into it. It's fully open source and they have um, uh, sponsors. It, it, it's the same way that OBS is mo- uh, monetized. They have corporate sponsorship. So uh, you, you could okay, become gotcha. a sponsor of Mastodon and give them money to keep them funded. I see. Yeah. Okay. I, it, I mean, it's a completely open, like uh, the, <laughs> the, the famous like pointing a finger at Mastodon is like, that's a bad platform. It's like True Social is a fork of Mastodon's code base, which is Trump's social media platform, right? Like you, you can fork it and do what you want with it, or you could spin up a Mastodon instance anywhere and make it for whatever you want. But the thing is, if you're uh, unpopular and not a nice person, odds are pretty good every other Mastodon instance will just stop you from being able to share on their other instances. So they just get locked into their weird little echo chambers and stay there. Hmm. Which, you know, it's not a perfect solution, but there is no perfect solution. And I just think that this is really, 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 really strange that, yes, Mastodon has been fast growing because of Elon Musk's changes to Twitter and tweaks to Twitter. However, it's still like a micro fraction of the size, right? And there's enough barriers to entry with like, like if you're a programmer, there's no issue with getting a Mastodon instance or like get, getting up and running on Mastodon. And if you like reading and are even remotely interested in tech, it's also super easy. But if you're, you know, somebody who just has a cell phone, it's not the easiest social media platform to just boop, 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 make an account on, right? And I, I think that that makes it a non-threat to Twitter in a lot of ways. I don't, like I, as somebody who's using it, I don't see it ever replacing Twitter. It's like, no, it's a it's a different enough platform that it's that, like if anything, um, something like Hive, which blew up and went viral and then got subsequently shut down because of security threats, which is hilarious. Uh, something like Hive, I could understand because like that is actually kind of like a one to one to Twitter in a lot of ways, um, and also took off even quicker than Mastodon did until people found the security issues and then it, um, we'll see if they recover from that and then maybe they will. Uh, but uh, I'm surprised that like that wasn't a target whereas this is i it's just it's just low i think it's just a a long list of things to do with twitter that just makes me point out and go oh come on grow up yeah yeah that's fair so I think with all that being said, apologies to end this one on a bummer, but uh, this, is, this has been episode 48 of the Halcyon Frequency podcast. Uh, so now is the part of the show where we tell you where you can find us on the internet. What, Jess? Who are you and where can people find your stuff? I'm Jess. You currently can find me on Twitch at W-O-A-H-H underscore J-E-S-S. Um, on the nasty Twitters, same, same name, YouTube. Discord, other places. I'm on the internet. Drongo, who are you and where can people find you? <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to hold it together after the phrase of nasty Twitters. <laughs> Just <laughs> for some reason that really tickled me. Um, <laughs> uh, my name is Bloody Drongo. You can find me on Twitch as Bloody Drongo. Uh, you can also find me on the nasty Twitters as <laughs> at the bloody drongo 
and uh, I'm Blind IRL, and you can find me everywhere under that. Um, I'm also on the twats at uh, at Blind IRL, and you can find me on Mastodon at B-L-I-N-D-I-R-L at M-A-S dot T-O. And uh, if you want to get more episodes of this podcast, you can get that over at halcyonfrequency.com or your podcast platform of choice. And uh, I just want to say real quick thanks to Peter Pohl and Paul Mile for the lovely intro and outro music that you hear on this show. And if this show doesn't show up in a location that you're used to finding it, uh, please let me know and I will do my best to make it appear there. And I just want to say thank you to all of the new people who have come along because of the Dwarf Fortress talk the past few weeks. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And until next week, episodes go live on Sundays. Uh, don't change that dial. This is Halcyon Frequency signing off. Bye. Bye.